Welcome to Legacy Church, Amelia Island. We pray that you are blessed by the message that you are about to hear, and we believe that it will help you leave a Christ-glorifying legacy for generations to come. Hey, while you're standing, just give one more hand clap for the Lord. Come on. It has to be deflected to Him. Sure. Praise God. You look good. You can be seated. Well, after introductions and uh, affirmations, no pressure, right? So good to be with you here at Legacy Church. And we've mentioned before, uh, my wife Tracy, if you don't know my wife, everybody knows my wife, <laughs> what I say, but uh, my, my, my partner uh, for 41 years. Uh, there has not been a moment in our relationship that we've not been in the ministry. Uh, from, we met at a revival meeting, and it just was revival from then on out. But uh, just to say, uh, obviously I couldn't do this without you, and no one knows what goes on sometimes behind the scenes that a great woman doesn't invest in her husband's ministry, but you have a ministry of your own as well. So anyway, thank you for that. I wanted to honor you. And uh, to just say thank you to Pastor Carlos, Courtney, their family. We, we love your pastors. We just think they're it. And I don't say that just because I'm standing here looking at you. We really do like them and enjoy them and appreciate them. And uh, I remember when he called me and he was talking about certain transitions and he had mentioned the name Legacy Church, and I told him, Pastor Carlos, we pastored a Legacy Church in Charleston for 20 plus years, and uh, he did not know that. But anyway, there was such a connection, and only God can birth those kind of things. So every time we come here, we think of that, and we think of you, and there's such endearing, endearing thoughts. And although I don't know you all, and you really may not know me, I just want you to know that you're loved from afar, you're prayed for regularly, and we're rooting for every success for you here in Nassau County. And uh, we just want you to know that uh, you've got people like that uh, behind the scenes. So God bless Pastor Carlos and Courtney. Um, we also know that one of the greatest and highest affirmations that one can get is that when you're away, for whatever reason, that your church runs seamlessly. That is the great, that's the greatest concern of a pastor. And I pastored, and we did for over 35 years. And so one of the highest stress levels, believe it or not, was going on vacation. What was supposed to be relaxing ended up being a stress level because you wanted everything to go smooth and seamlessly while you were away. And may I just say that Legacy Church at Amelia Island has some top-notch servers, sharp people, excellent uh, in all that they do. It's just really amazing and remarkable to me. And I know it must take an army to do that, but I know Viviana and Miguel, they were visiting with us several weeks before we got here to just make sure everything was in order. We don't really need much, but just to have that reach out was amazing. And, and I just want to say to Greg, your best days are ahead, man. I'm just telling you, you guys, you were right. And Kaylin, we never forget you. Because we have a daughter named Kaylin, and we just think that's a providential, powerful name. All right, you guys do a great job. And I, could, I wish I could name everybody off and how it happens here. 
but we just want to spend a moment because I feel like my job, really, my ministry to you today is to encourage you, uh, to equip you, empower you, uh, to edify, to build you up, and to make you feel like the God that is in you is unstoppable and therefore you are unstoppable. And if we can accomplish that today, then we will have succeeded in God's plan. Amen? I want to mention to you and I don't know if we have a slide, guys. I'm going to take less than 60 seconds to say this, but uh, I asked Pastor Carlos if I could bring some resource, and so I brought my book that is entitled, I'm Stuck and I Can't Get Out. Anybody but me ever felt stuck, and you're spinning your wheels, and you just can't seem to move forward? Maybe you've been paralyzed by a situation, you're, you're stuck in a career, you're stuck at a job. I've met, I've met young moms who they love their children, but they looked at me and said, I feel stuck in the house. I, I, I mean, that feeling of just being stuck. Why isn't this progressing? We've all felt that way. Well, I wrote a book, hopefully to encourage and hopefully to give some insight as to not only maybe why you're there, but how you can get out. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. And if you're interested in that, you can go back wherever that's located. Is it, I don't know which way that's located. Uh, I, I guess we'll find out if you really want the book. You'll just circle the church and figure out where it's at. Um, and it, it, it normally retails at $20. It's $15, but it'll be the best $15 you ever spent, especially if you feel like I am stuck and I can't get out. All right, enough of the commercial. How about let's get into God's Word? How about it? Hey, if you're with me, turn to the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read out of Ephesians 5.16 here in just a moment. But before we get to Ephesians 5.16, I just want to remind you of a couple things that we all should know, but it's good to be reminded of. Number one is this. God is true to His Word. God does not go back on His promise. He will fulfill His Word. All through the Old Testament, we find on numerous occasions God saying to the Israelites, this is what I've said, I am good to my word, you can put it on the calendar, you can put it in the bank, you can put it wherever you need to put it, I will bring my good word to pass. Is that not good news? And uh, you need to understand today that whether you've received promise by perhaps uh, hearing a sermon, reading perhaps a scripture passage, perhaps uh, you were praying and God spoke something to your heart. Because we believe in prophetic utterances, perhaps there has been a prophetic word that's been given to you or shared with you, that God has said something with regards to your future. I want you to hear me uh, this morning that God is good to his word. You've got to believe and maintain and just be steadfast in understanding God's integrity with regards to his promises. The Bible says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. So for me, there are some things, of course, I've not seen yet, I'm still believing for, I'm still counting on God for, and sometimes that can be wearisome, but we have to at least maintain our integrity by saying God is good and God is God, and somehow, some way, I may not even understand it, he's going to bring his good word to pass. Now, while believing that God has the power to do anything he wants to do. In fact, how many believe that God is omnipotent? He can do anything God wants to do anytime he wants to do it. I believe that. 
I believe that uh, God is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows what's going on. He gets my life. And uh, he, can, he can understand what it is I'm going through. And I can understand all of the great attributes of God, and I am settled with that and with God's character within my spirit. But my greatest challenge in my walk with the Lord and how I interact with the Lord is His speed. Why is it that God seems slow? This is my issue. In fact, honestly, if it were up to me, I have often said to the Lord, Lord, if you would let me do it, I could be, I could be your time management counselor. I could help you be far more effective and efficient in your will in the earth if you let me deal with your time management. His speed. His speed has been the thing all through my life that has frustrated me. I have always been that guy that has said, I want to get on with the will of God. I really love God. I, I want to do His will. Why can't we get on with the show? And, and Let's just get on with it. In fact, Lord, if you would do this thing quicker, you would have more days in order to do your will with me. How many of you know you're not going to beat God in logic or an argument? And so this has been my whole life. I, I, I have wanted God's will. I have pursued it. There have been times, I don't know about you, I have probably leapt too soon at some things because I was helping God out. My, my, really, my problem has never been dragging my feet. I'm one of those, I know some people have the issue, they drag their feet doing the will of God. And I get that. My, but that's never been my issue. My issue is I hear and I want to do it. And my church used to have whiplash all the time because I'd hear from God, timing had nothing to do with it, it's just we're going to do it. Instant obedience. And, I, and those are all good things. But I have come to understand that God has a time, He has a way, He has what we call seasons that we got to get a hold of or we will forever be frustrated in that which He is doing in our life. As we were transitioning our church, it was at the end of 2018, um, we knew that our season was over being a local church pastor. And it was very hard for me to come to that conclusion, but that was the will of God, and we were making these transitions. And so the last set of sermons I was able to preach at our church was, was actually entitled, How to Change a Season. Because not everyone knows how to change seasons or that seasons ever end or that there can be seasons within seasons. And so I shared that series of messages. The people were beginning to understand that their pastor was no longer going to be their pastor. And we did our online as well. And I had a gentleman who's in a counseling profession. I've known him for years. He sent me a little note. And he actually counsels uh, men and women, but they're, they're what we would call professional high-capacity CEO types. Now, what I'm about ready to say is not just unique to those who are leading organizations or, or companies, but really it, it's everyone that faces this. And he just shared with me, he said, Kevin, people are facing an era that, that is turning on a dime, it's changing on a dime, technology changes, circumstance change, everything's changing so fast that they can't get their brain wrapped around what's going on 
People are losing their jobs. They aren't understanding all that's going on. And it's creating a stress in people, the likes of which, he goes, I've never seen in my four decades of counseling. He goes, the people of God especially need to understand that God has his own seasons, his own reasons, and that he is working this out in the midst of this chaotic time and era that we're all living in. And so out of that, a lot of ideas began to be fleshed out in me because I was one of those people that was thinking time is escaping. Hey, when you're 63 years old, and that may not sound old to some of you, for me it was starting to sound old. I felt like the clock's running out. I'm in the fourth quarter. Is, is, now you may say, well, you probably got 30 years and I've made the confession. I'm going to preach into my 90s. So if you're here 30 years from now, Pastor Carlos will have me come in here and I'll be up here with my walker at 90 years old. Because that's just been my confession. Now, that's a long time I know it, but, but in the natural, you feel like you're in the fourth quarter. And, and God, not everything you said you wanted to do has come to pass. How are we going to deal with this? How am I going to deal with this? How do I understand it? How do I navigate it? And how do I keep a right spirit? How, how, do, I, how do I just keep focused on you in this era that I'm living in and with this call or with this promise that you've given to me? I want to explore that. Is that okay if we explore that just a little bit this morning? If you have your Bibles, open it up to Ephesians. I want to read out of Ephesians 5. I'm just going to read verse 16, although the whole fifth chapter is great. I hope we can put it, yeah, great, we have it on the screen. Now, I'm going to read it to you out of several versions here, so just bear with me, because the words, the actual Greek words that are within that sentence are really significant, which is why there's so many different translations of this particular verse. So let's get started in the Amplified Bible. It says, making the most of your time because the days are filled with evil. All right, that's pretty self-explanatory. Making most of your time, the days are filled with evil. Uh, in the English Standard Version, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The Living Bible says, make the most of every opportunity you have for doing good. The Message Bible, which I find interesting sometimes, uh, Peterson writes, make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. The New International Version, making the most of every opportunity, again, because the days are evil. And the KRB translation, that's me. I just decided to translate it freely. Redeem your ordained season, for the days are growing even darker. Now, keeping that in mind, I'm going to come back to this specific word that's in that particular passage of Scripture that is translated for us the word time. Just file that in the back of your head for just a moment, and I want to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Let's read this, and I'm going to skip through some of this, but starting at verse 1, and this is out of the New King James Version, it says, to everything... There is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Now, I'm not going to read verses 2 through 8 for you. You can read that on your own. But what you will see is that the writer, probably Solomon, begins to give these juxtapositions of all the different seasons you'll face in your life. There's a time of war and a time of peace. There's a time to cry. There's a time to rejoice. And he'll go back and forth in all of these different contrasting seasons that we all face. And he'll illustrate that in those seven particular verses. 
And then he says in verse 9, What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. You know what's interesting about that verse? It says that if something isn't in its time, it's ugly. If you get something that's not in its time, it can be ugly. But if it's in its time, it's what? Beautiful. Also, he's put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. And I'm going to just explore in those few moments, and I understand we're on the clock, we're in time. I want to talk about making the most of this moment that you're in. Making the most of your moment. I think that across the board, we believe God is late most of the time. In fact, we're pretty much convinced the timetable of which God should work and should move. And candidly, God's speed and timing has frustrated people more in their journey with Him, perhaps more than anything else, because we're the type of people who say, I want what I want when I want it. Now, quick, fast, and in a hurry. And that singular concept has probably caused more discouragement, hopelessness, dare I even say apostasy. There are people who no longer walk with Jesus because they're convinced that God wasn't integral to what they thought he should do at the moment they thought he should do it. Now, much of the problem that we face understanding this is that we don't understand God's concept of time. God has a different clock. In fact, 2 Peter 3.9, it, it says these words, these very words Peter is writing to a church in dysphoria. He says this, he says, God is not slack or God is not slow concerning his promises as some men count slowness. He says, specifically, he says, He says, you think God's slow, but I'm telling you that God is not slow. And the reason he can say this is because in the language, and this is the problem with the English language, is that there may be several words in the original language with which we translate it just one way. We've probably heard a lot of sermons on love. Well, love has like three different words, you know, agape, phileo, eros. It has several words in the original language, which we just jump over and we translate it love. Well, the word time is similar. There are several different words for time uh, in the Bible uh, that are very important to understand how they're used and how they're distinguished because as you read it in the Scripture, sometimes we don't always get it. So let's talk about this for just a moment. These two important words for time. The first word that I want to just share just for a moment that all of us get is the word chronos. Chronos is where we get our term chronological from. It is measurable time. Whether it's seconds, minutes, hours on the clock, or whether it's days, weeks, months, years on the calendar, chronos is how we measure our time. Now, this is the time that you and I function under most easily and almost by our default system. In fact, it's why we get frustrated. Uh, Now, I want you to consider this. Uh, That you and I, when God had human beings in mind and he created Adam and Eve, he never created them to function under chronos. Now, he created them in order that they might live forever. 
And the only reason time came into the picture is why? Well, they sinned, and because of sin, it created death, and because of death, they were on the clock. So you understand right now that if you didn't have a death date, if you and I did not have to die, naturally, the calendar or the clock would be of insignificance to us. But because we know we're on the clock, time is of incredible importance to us. Because we know that time is slowly slipping away from us. In fact, what upsets us sometimes, some of us in particular, is when we feel like our time is being wasted. We don't want to waste time. We don't like lines at the grocery store. We don't like going to the DMV. Do we? We don't like traveling down the interstate on Memorial Day or the 4th of July, and we get stuck in traffic at the Georgia-South Carolina border. Why, why don't they fix these things? I don't get it. It seems like it's, it's time that is wasted, and this is our issue with God. Our issue with God on occasion is this. God, I love you, I want you, I want to serve you, but it feels like you are wasting our time. Now hear me when I say this. This won't be encouraging, but it's going to bring some understanding. Peter said, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day to the Lord. Doesn't that encourage you? This whole issue of time is what ensnares us. It ensnared Abraham and Sarah. They thought they couldn't have a child thereby producing what God had promised. So they were going to help God out. Sarah gives Abram Hagar, and they have this relationship producing. Help me now, he just slipped my mind. Ishmael, he produced, this is why I need my wife. She helps me preach. Producing Ishmael. And what happens is Ishmael becomes a problem because they were trying to help God out because they felt like they were on the clock Time is running out. God certainly couldn't do this thing because their bodies are dead. Isn't that amazing? We'll say, well, how could God work in this situation? And God goes, there's no situation that I couldn't work in. In fact, God oftentimes will wait till the exact moment of the worst situation, the worst moment, the most inconceivable time you could ever lay out, and that's the moment God says, I'll move. Why does he do that? So you'll know it's him and not your conniving and planning. Okay, you're following me. So if we, if we took death out of the equation, we wouldn't care about time. But because death is in the equation, you and I are constantly on the clock. I feel the same way. I know there's a death date. Barring Jesus' return, there's, there's, a, there's a headstone out there with my name on it somewhere at some time. Come on, God, let's move. Kronos. But there's a second word for time, and this one's important. In fact, this is the word, if you were to study the Hebrew, or even if you took the Hebrew over into the Greek Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, the Jews of that day understood how to translate these words, and they used the very same word that we find in the New Testament. It is the word kairos. And kairos has nothing to do with chronological time. Kairos has everything to do with quality time. Or in other words, it's time that that is ordained or time that when everything is in order 
In other words, it's, it's like in the fullness of time, God sent his son. He didn't use chronos, he used kairos. In other words, why didn't God send Jesus a week after Adam and Eve sinned? That would have been more efficient, more economical. It would have only been a week of this, of this feeling of being unredeemed. Why didn't he do that? I don't, I don't have every answer to every situation, but I know this. God waited till the right moment, the right country, uh, the right oppressor, the right woman, the right earthly father. He waited until all these things were in exact order and in the fullness of time he sent his son and at that moment redemption came into the earth. His plan was able to be fulfilled. This is how God tends to work with you and I. But the question is, how do we who default into chronos begin to understand and live with and function in this concept of kairos. Are you with me? How do, how do I, who, who I look at the clock all the time, thinking time's wasting, and here's God saying, a day is as a thousand years. How do we, how do we navigate these things? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you five realities that I, I have embraced. I, I've been walking with Jesus since I was 18 years old. You can do the math. That's 45 years. Doesn't make me an expert at everything, but you can learn from all my frustrations. There are five things that we're going to have to embrace to navigate what God ultimately calls these seasons. You are in seasons. Some of us are in the same season. For instance, if we, if we worship together at Legacy Church, Legacy Church has a season it's in. It's, as the people of God, you together are in a season, but everyone that's sitting here individually, you're in a season, and if you have a family or maybe the marriage, you're in a season, and so there's seasons within seasons, but you've got to understand, how do I navigate this, especially, listen to me, when I don't like the season I'm in, all right? Because if we can get a hold of this, You'd be amazed at what God can begin to do. So these are five realities I must embrace to navigate the season. Number one is this. God calls the season. God calls the season. Now we already mentioned to you out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that there are lots of seasons that the writer tells us about. And you'll read through that list and you'll see that there are good seasons and there are bad seasons. And we are subject to both good and bad. Now, I believe God is good. How many of you here believe God is good? I believe God is good. All the time. And all the time, God is good. But we live in a broken, dysfunctional, fallen world, do we not? So we, we live in this tension of the goodness of God with all of his attributes, and we're navigating this broken, dysfunctional world. And God clearly calls it out. He says there are going to be moments where I suspect the good seasons are where his common grace 
is flooding and you're experiencing wonderful, good, incredible, amazing, miraculous, even supernatural things. And then some of us will be facing those challenges. In fact, all of us will be facing those moments of challenge and heartbreak and disappointment and discouragement. Can I, I'll just ask and let's just be transparent. And I'll start by saying I've experienced some really cruddy seasons. Yeah, that's, okay, I think, I think if everybody's being honest and you've lived any length of time, you could say, oh, yeah, I get that. God calls these seasons. Now, this is what I tell folks to do. One of the first things you need to do is, as you're trying to interpret the moment you're at, is you need to ask God what season you're in. Isn't that like a duh? If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth abundantly. That's what the Scripture says. So we need to understand that God can actually share with you kind of what season you're in. And while it may not instantly change where you're at, how many of you know understanding where you're at can really help? I grew up in the summertime uh, on the farm. All of my mom's brothers, she was the only girl in a household of boys, they're all farmers out in central Kansas. And so I was shipped to the farm every summer because I was going to learn a work ethic. But my parents' mind is, you're going to the farm. And so all through junior high and high school, every summer, I did the farm. And I did everything on the farm. And I respect farmers. That is hard, hard work. And it did help me in a lot of ways. But one of the things that I learned was this, as a farmer. God calls the season. You, you can't, for example, you can't demand your ground be harvested when you're in a planting season. You understand how crazy that would be? And, and you can't let your harvest spoil on the vine uh, when, you're, when you're saying to yourself, this is a planting season. You've you got to get the season straight as a farmer. But if you get the season straight and you understand the seasons, Within that comes the capacity to be able to prosper and to be able to go forward and to succeed in ways you never imagined. The farm, farmers understand this very, very easily. They understand that there's moments that I've got to plow the ground, I've got to disc the ground. There are moments I plant the ground. There are moments that I have to irrigate the ground. And then there are moments of waiting. We were wheat farmers. It took nearly a year for wheat to come up out of the ground. You had to watch it after you drilled it into the ground. You had to watch snow come on it and rain come on it and nothing until about, and this is no joke, two or three months tops before harvest, suddenly you'd see this little green thing come out, and then by the time the 4th of July came, you'd put the combines in the field and you'd take out the wheat. Hear me now. You didn't plan that. You can't control that. That's just the way it is. And you've got to understand, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a full gospel, back in the day we were called charismatics, I, don't, I guess that name probably has its baggage with it. You can call me Pentecostal, call me a continualist, call me whatever you want. But we have a tendency to think we can demand of God anything at any time, and I'm here to tell you that there are certain seasons that God just simply is not going to violate. He demands of you to get it. It's not that he's not good. It's just that he understands that there's a fullness of time for everything. And I've used this illustration before, that if he gives you something before you're ready for it, it will kill you. In fact, what was meant to bless you will kill you. 
I can throw my 12 year, you know, when Clay was 12 years old, he would bug me to drive all the time. I want to drive, Dad. I want to do this. Well, how many of you know if I threw my keys to 12 year old Clayton Baird, the first thing he'd do is go wrap that car around a tree? Now, he has a destiny to drive, but if I throw him those keys too early, it kills him. If God throws you the keys to your promise too early, it could kill you. In fact, some of you really do have this amazing promise waiting for you. But I'll tell you what God's waiting for. He's waiting for everything to be in order because he knows if he lets you have it right now, you'll get a brain cramp. You say, well, not me. Well, I won't go there. All right? So, so God calls the season. Every season is valuable. Number two, God uses every season. Learn the lessons that are flowing from your season. You are where you are right now for providential reasons. How do I know that? It's because the steps of the righteous are ordered. That's what the scripture says. Your steps, if you're endeavoring to love God and serve God, you're being ordered right now, and wherever you find yourself, you're there because God has something he's wanting to do at that particular moment. No matter how good, amazing, extraordinary, or how painful, challenging, and dysfunctional it may be. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. Now, hear me, if you haven't acted righteously, or if you're not pursuing God, and you're not wanting His will, you can put yourself into situations that can be devastating, but don't you blame Him for that. Okay? Don't you blame God for things that you got yourself into. But having said that and putting it off to the side, if you're really saying, I'm really wanting to be after the Lord, but I don't get why I'm here, I'm here to tell you that God is at work doing something beyond your wildest imagination. I don't know about you, but has anybody ever attended a class or maybe at work they sent you to something, training at work, and you get out of it and you say to yourself, I will never get, you know, that hour or two back again. I will never get that time back again. That was the most worthless class, the most worthless thing I have ever faced in my life. When I was in high school, I took a drafting class. This was back in the day where you still had the big drafting boards and you still had to use the mechanical pencils and the T-square. You know, nowadays they have computers and CAD. But I was doing it all back in those days. And I don't even know why I did it. I think I did it to get out of, like, other classes. So... I took this drafting class, and I actually took drafting for four years. I took four years of drafting. And I remember thinking, leaving the class, I will never use the information that I spent four years learning in these high school drafting classes. Oh, how wrong I was. I ended up getting a job. Actually, it started as a custodian at a small company, and I worked my way up until finally the engineer found out that I actually had... Uh, uh, drawing, you know, like blueprint experience, he pulled me out of the back, put me as an assistant engineer. I didn't even have a degree. This is how I made my way through college. And I got paid big bucks because of a class that I didn't think was even important at the time. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Some of you are in a class right now. It's God's special class of circumstances that you may be in. And you would say to yourself, I don't know what I'm learning. I don't know what this is all about. I don't get why I'm here. I don't understand any of this. And there's going to come a moment that you're going to find out that the lessons you've learned in this moment are going to be plucked out and you're going to find yourself in the middle of a blessing you never understood at that particular time. Are you hearing me? 
And it's because of that season that you're in. Number three, I've learned that God opportunities arise in every season. Don't resist your season. Don't rebuke it. I know, I know, I know, I grew up in this too. I think that every bad thing that comes my way has to be the devil. So I'm rebuking every bad, or everything I think's bad. And everything I think's good, I say, ooh, God be praised. Hear me when I say this. I go back to the farmer. The farmer, the farmer can't look at his planting season and bind it. Because he's demanding a harvest from his field in a season that he should be planting. Are you following me? You can't just bind your season because you are demanding upon it some sort of blessing to be extracted. And God's saying, until you get some lessons under your belt, until some character formation takes place, and maybe some humility, maybe some brokenness. I don't know. These are biblical concepts too, believe it or not. And until that takes place, the Lord may be saying, no time to switch seasons yet. The harvest is out there, but you've got to get through your season. Learn the lesson of your season. Understand your season. Seize the blessings and the lessons and all the teachings of the season. Lay your hands to the work of the season. Listen, I'm in a season right now that's not easy. I can't get into the whole thing, but right now, my wife and I are in a season where there's some things to it that are uncomfortable. They seem unjust. They seem unfair. You say, you face those too, Pastor Baird? Absolutely. What are you doing? Well, the other day, the Lord spoke to me out of 1 Corinthians 10, reminding me that the top four sins of the Israelites was grumbling. And he said, the minute you stop grumbling, I'll think about changing your season. Ouch. Ouch. So what have I done? I, I had to go back. I had to go back and say, you know what? You're right, Lord. I'm not grumbling anymore. I'm here. You put me here. I don't know everything about it. But I do know at this particular moment, I am going to squeeze and wring and extract every lesson I can get out of this season so I'm ready for your next one. Because something's going to escalate here in a hurry, and when it does, I want to be ready for it, and I don't want it to kill me. So cooperate. And don't always resist it. Number four, your current season has beauty. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, he said these words, he says, everything is beautiful in its time. Sometimes the beauty of the seasons can't be fully appreciated until you're out of that season. Tracy and I were staff pastors for years. Now, this is 30-plus years ago. We were staff pastors, and I remember we, we felt like we had a call to be a senior pastor. We wanted to be out doing the work as a senior pastor. And honestly, I lost perspective some in that time period, and there have been moments we've looked at each other, haven't we, and we've said, oh, to go back to that season. I didn't realize all the good things or the benefits or the lessons. There was beauty in that season that I missed. So what we've learned from that, now being aged, is that whatever season we're in, we're going we're gonna to see or we're going to find the beauty in that moment. You say, well, there's not a lot of beauty in my season. Well, keep looking. I understand it can be challenging and tough, and I don't want to diminish that or minimize that, but something, a lesson, an understanding, you've grown, you've become stronger, You've gotten more insight. I don't know what it is. You can extract something beautiful out of just about anything. And then number five, 
And this is where we'll end and bring a bow to the whole thing. Number five is this. Faithfulness can change your season. Galatians 6, 9 we read, And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The, the if qualification of Galatians 6, 9 is this. You will reap in due season if you don't throw in the towel. If you don't give up. If you put your nose down and just keep pressing through. You will reap in due season if you do not grow weary. What God is saying there is he's saying your faithfulness in the season you are in to him first and obviously to all that he has surrounded you with Your faithfulness in that moment can literally turn the page of your calendar if you let it. Now, now, hear me. I I believe that seasons to some, well, to a great extent, are set by God alone. But this is what I believe. While we may not be able to shorten every season, I do believe by our actions we can lengthen our season. Kind of like the children of Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 8, when God tells them why they were sent into the wilderness. He tells them why you had to do this wilderness thing. He said, I did this in order to test what was in your heart, to know know what was there, to know if you'd still worship me, to to know if you'd still follow me. He, He said these things, and sometimes I think that because we give up so easily, we, we, we get frustrated too easily, we get angry too easily, as in my case, we grumble, and then God convicts the fire out of me about my grumbling, and I go, oops, sir, you're right, you're right. I need to watch what comes out of my mouth, because I don't want to spend one more minute than I have to at this location. And I don't want my weariness to extend what God says he's ready to move me on with. Are you following me? We are being formed right now. All of us are being formed right now for the next chapter that God has for us. You as an individual, you and your relationship, your marriage, you and your family, hear me now, you Legacy Church right now are being formed for your next chapter. Don't miss all the beauty that's in this moment because it will help you turn that page to get into your next chapter. I'm going to end with this. I'm coming in for a landing. My landings, though, take a long time. Romans 8.18, it says this. This is another one of my favorite passages. Romans 8 is my, one of my favorite chapters, but this is what Paul says in Romans 8.18. He says, For the suffering of this present season. How many of you can relate to that part of the verse so far? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, I know there's numbers of you. For the suffering of this present season is not worthy to be compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed. Now, some of that treat that eschatologically like it's going to be somewhere out in the future, and it will be. We all know that there's going to be a moment that whether Jesus comes or we die, if we're a believer, we get to go to something way better. 
But, but I believe Paul was speaking to something far more even temporal than that. He was telling those Romans that were facing incredible challenge under Nero, he was telling them this, the suffering that you guys are facing right now in Rome is not worthy to be compared to what God yet has awaiting just around the corner if you just hang on. One of my favorite books, I used to read it every year, and, I, and I've not done that in recent years, and I thought to myself, I may need to break it back out again. But I used to read a book by Viktor Frankl, who was a Viennese psychoanalyst. He wrote a book entitled Man's Search for Meaning. And he has a lot of great quotes in the book. But Frankl was a Jew during, during the years of Nazi Germany, and his family, he himself was was taken away to a concentration camp. I don't know about you, but there, there may not be much that would happen in my life that would somehow eclipse the suffering and the horror of a Nazi concentration camp. But he comes out of that, and he, and he writes this book. It's almost his memoir of the time in a concentration camp, and he has so many incredible, incredible things. In fact, he makes the observation within the camp. He says that, he says that those who survive and those who succumb to what's going on in that camp, he maintained that the only difference between those two groups were those that had the capacity to believe that their purpose was beyond this moment. So he quoted Nietzsche from years previous. He said, he who has a why to live can endure any how. And that's where some of us are. We say to ourselves, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to get through this painful moment? How am I going to get through this season? How, how, how? And you know how you get through it? It's because your why has been answered. I've got something, I've got a promise out there. I've got a purpose yet to be apprehended. God has said some things and he is good to his word. How that will happen, I don't know. I feel like I'm on the clock, but God does not operate on my clock. And here's what he says. Is it up there, guys, the one with the, the face? Yeah, this one. He says, forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess except one thing, your freedom to choose how you will respond to the situation. I don't know if it's a week now or two weeks ago, Trace and I came back from a five-day road trip. And we pulled into our house, and we opened up the garage door, and this stream of water started coming out of our garage. It's about two weeks ago. I'm going, what in the world? At first I thought it was the hot water heater. But then I started looking, and it's not coming from the hot water heater. It's coming from the sheetrock, underneath the sheetrock into the garage. I go into the house. I'm stepping through at least a half inch of water that's all over the bottom of our house. I finally find where it's coming. There was a, a quarter-inch pipe underneath the, the toilet that just snapped for no reason. That PVC pipe that just, you know, it just is destroyed. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, it just snapped for no reason. And so there's this high-pressure quarter-inch hose that's just blowing water into my house. Not really sure how long it's been doing it, but we've got like two inches of water in one room and an inch in the hallway and probably about a half inch through three-quarters of the house. Now, I want to say this. This is going to be a silly illustration. Because this is like a first world problem. 
Are you hearing me? I'm not going to sit up here and moan to you about how I've been this suffering season. My house was flooded. Pray for me. How will I make it? How many of you know our brothers and sisters in China, in Haiti, Nigeria, if they only had a house that could get flooded? So let me just say, some of you right now are facing things a whole lot worse than what I'm about ready to share with you. You're saying, you're saying, oh, Pastor Baird, that's nothing compared to, can you put yours, and I would say you're right. You win. My issue at this moment is not your issue. But can we at least admit, maybe your issue isn't like some other people's issue around the globe. But it's your personal suffering for the moment. So you're suffering for this present season. Now listen, we had to go into this house. You call water mitigation. They bring in four humidifiers, you know, about a dozen floor fans. You're living in what sounds like a 737 that, you know, you know, my, my wife loves sound machines. And it's like, I told her, I said, this is the ultimate sound machine that you have. You can go to any room you want and sleep right now. And for like five or six days, and it really the floor never did get dry un un underneath it. And so, and so, but listen to me. So, so what happens? We get a whole new floor. And because it was all contiguous through the house, they're going to do it upstairs. See, this is a first world problem. But the illustration, I think, stands that whatever your suffering is, and whatever inconvenience, and whatever challenge, and whatever emotion, because I wasn't thinking new floors the moment I was walking into the house. I was, I, all you do is see this, see, and you have more faith than I do, apparently. That's probably true. That's probably true. It's a silly illustration, I get it, but don't let the silliness of it diminish the truth that's behind it, and it's this. Whatever you are facing, if you'll go through it and choose to maintain the right attitude, because every, when the water mitigation team came through, and the adjuster came through, and the floor people came through, and this is going to take several months, by the way, so keep praying for me, you know. To ask, ask the Lord to give me grace to go through all these things. But hear me when I say this. They, they looked at us and they said, and, and we're, I'm just telling you, we have never seen anybody take this kind of problem so well as you've all taken it. Now listen to me. Again, silly first world illustration that at the end of the day is almost, I almost am embarrassed to tell it, except to say this, that if you'll choose to go through whatever it is you're going through, with the joy of the Lord and the peace of the Lord, and you will, you will tie into kingdom attribute and resource and help and all the things that God can provide for you and that you can just navigate this season you're in in a way that becomes an ambassador of the king. you got a new floor coming. Whatever that floor may look for you. Yes, yes it is. I know it's hard. It's hard to trust. This is faith. It's hard to trust. It's hard to believe. It's hard to really say, what if I'm disappointed? You got to get that out of your system and say, I, I, you know what, God, you are true beyond my emotion. 
And you can do this thing. In Jesus' name. I'm going to hand it back to Kaylin right now. Yeah, come on up here. I feel like, I feel, because you have her name, I feel like I got my daughter with me for a minute because I get to say Kaylin a few times. I'm going, to, I'm going to pray because there may be someone here that you're, you are on the precipice of throwing in the towel. You are on the precipice of saying, I quit, I give up, I don't like this, I, don't, I want to scream, I want to yell, I want to hit somebody. And I'm here to tell you, just breathe in the presence of God one more time. Hear me when I'm saying it, this season, this too shall pass. And God will have something beyond your wildest imagination awaiting for you if you don't miss what he's doing at this moment. Holy Spirit, move on your people right now. Help them come to a place of great peace. Lord, I I would agree, their season is incredibly challenging. But Lord, help them to see beyond that to the glory that will yet be revealed. Lord, there are people here that are probably in pain, and they're saying this season is full of pain. I don't know how much more pain I can take. I wish I could take them out of the pain. But Lord, at least let pain produce. Produce the righteousness. Produce the, produce the, the kingdom quality characteristic that you're wanting to produce. Help it make them stronger more empathetic, sympathetic. Lord, this church has such a great destiny in your mind and heart. Lord, you have a great chapter. Let it, as a people, Lord, navigate every season you send their way. Whether it be summer, winter, fall, or spring. Whether it be Plowing, disking, irrigating, harvesting, whatever it may be. Lord, let them walk through it in such a way that, God, you're being glorified and you're being seen and something greater than they could imagine is coming forth. Help marriages, help families. Lord, let no one throw in the towel. But let something come into them with great resolve that says, I choose today. I choose joy of the Lord. I choose His peace. I choose, I choose these things beyond my raging emotions. I choose that today. Lord, as they do that, let them see the chapter, the page, turn into that new glorious moment. You can do it, Jesus. I've seen you do it more times than I can imagine. You're no respecter of people. So do it now, I pray. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, please check out our website at LegacyChurchAI.org or follow us on social media at LegacyChurchAI. We'll see you next time.